You can be opening your Bibles to the book of Matthew, your copy of God's Word, to Matthew 18. Um, today we're going to be looking, beginning in verse 21. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's one there in front of you, in the rack in front of you at your seat. I'm using that. And if you're using that Bible, we're on page 979, if, that, if you need a little help finding it. Uh, Matthew, uh, first book in the New Testament, the, the last third of the whole Bible. And uh, first book in that section in ver- chapter uh, 18 and beginning verse 21. We'll, we'll come to that in a minute. I'd just like to say about the Fallapalooza slides, not about those, but um, last Wednesday we had two families that visited there and came for Awana, which we are very grateful. And then I had a doctor's appointment Thursday uh, at my, uh, my endocrinologist in UVA for my diabetes. And and uh, the nurse helping me, I always try to engage them in conversation, be nice. And I asked her where she grew up. She said, Stan. I said, oh, I live there. Uh, what area of the city? She said, place called Hillcrest. I said, oh, I work at Calvary Baptist Church. She said, we went there last Saturday to the party y'all had. <laughs> now, if, she, if you're here, I won't recognize you because she had to wear a mask. And, you know, I didn't have to, thank the Lord, but she did. And uh, so I couldn't recognize her if I had to. But I, I just thought that was interesting. And Charlottesville, I ran into somebody from Stanton who came. So that, that, was, a, that was a great, a great, great blessing. Before, before I read the scripture, I want to I wanna, um, just tell you why people use a credit card. And you say, what does that got to do with Matthew 18? Well, just hang in there by the end of the service. I hope you will catch on. But um, it's in the Lord's Prayer. I'll just go ahead and tell you. He said, in one place in the Bible, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The other place says, transgression is we forgive those who transgress against us. In other words, sin is referred to as debt in the Bible, right? So I'm just going to take a, a couple of secular examples to help you uh, understand that. And one of those is the modern day credit card. And, and we all know what's going on in the economy. I mean, it, it's tough right now, right? I didn't get a strong amen on that, but it's, it's tough. Yeah, um, we, we had to get some gas yesterday, and I was surprised at the price. It was, I was surprised because it had come down, not because it was so high. Uh, it didn't come down enough, but it came, came down uh, a little bit. And so we all have to adjust in lean times, and, and I get that. And uh, so some people in this room have, have lived long enough. You've gone through cycles of bad times and good times. I was, I'm old enough to remember <coughs> um, President Carter and the economy then. Uh, and then the, uh, the election in 80 and the sudden growth of our economy and, uh, and, and kind of brought us out of that. But there are three reasons people use a credit card. Number one, um, just as I mentioned, it's a stopgap measure. You don't have enough cash on hand or something. An, emer- an emergency might come up or uh, it could be. I took Janice's car in the other day because it seemed like a light was blinking. And $2,400 later, it was fixed. So, Yeah. That's what we said. It didn't look that old to me. But anyway, um, so I didn't use a credit card, by the way. I, pay, I, I was able to pay for that. But uh, um, we can't get groceries this week, but we paid for the car. <laughs> <clears throat> um, but anyway, uh, so that's a reason, and I, and I get that. And then a second reason is the old saying to keep up with the Joneses. You don't want to look like you don't have money, and you're with friends who don't want to look like they have money and what they spend you spend or you want to get the nicest newest thing like they got or whatever um and and so we think we have to have it we you, you remember when you were a kid and or you have children and they but dad everyone's got it and i'm gonna die if i don't have it well both those things are not true not everyone has it because i don't have it number two you're not gonna die unless you keep whining um so 
So that is not a good reason. And, and it's so funny when you try to keep up with Jones. Because like I said, they may be worse off than you, but they don't want to look bad in front of you either. You just might as well say, I can't afford that. Y'all want to, you know, just have a grilled cheese sandwich? That'd be good. Um, and then thirdly, and this is the, the bad one, because you're addicted to it. You're addicted to stuff. You're addicted to things. You deal with your emotional problems by buying more. And think about the society we live in. Pick up our phone, put our finger on the picture, and it's going to show up at your door maybe that afternoon, but at least by tomorrow. And so it becomes a, a, a way of life, and you find yourself till you can't manage that debt. So it doesn't sound bad, but the average credit card debt in the United States currently, if you'll Google it after church, you'll see it's in this neighborhood. Might be a little less, might be a little more, but it's about $5,000. So somebody said, ooh, and other people went, well, that's not so bad. You need to really pay close attention then. Um, but if you only make the minimum payment on that, on that $5,000 every month, you never will pay it off. I don't know if you know that or not. And debt's an, an insidious, insidious thing. So why am I telling you this? Hang in there. We, we do have a point. Um, and a hat won't cover it. Uh, we all owe a debt of sin to God. I don't know back in the day if you sang the little co- chorus. Um, I had a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. And, and we, we talk about that. But, but I don't think it, it, it comes really real to us about that. And we owe a debt of death because of sin. And I know it's because of Adam's sin that we owe that debt. But we, in, we inherited that debt. We inherited that, that need to, it needed to be paid. And there are people that think mankind is basically good. One reason we don't think we owe a debt is because we have a very low view of sin. We don't think of sin as seriously, seriously as, we, as we ought to. People think that people are basically good. And only people believe that never had children, never been around children. Because <laughs> we come out screaming. And, and that has to be uh, helped along uh, so that they can get over that eventually. And, and so you say, well, it's not fair God hold me accountable for Adam's sin. Well, it, even if that's true, you've added interest to his debt, haven't you? you you've helped run that bill up even higher. You see, all of us deserve hell. I found myself recently, people say, how you doing? I say, better than I deserve. And what I mean is, I deserve hell, and I didn't get it. So I'm doing better than I deserve right now. No matter what's happening, it's better than what I deserve, because I do deserve hell. And, and people think of hell sometimes as a place where really bad sinners go. Well, I've never done this, or I've never done that. When you were conceived, you were a sinner. You have to do anything to become a sinner. You were conceived a sinner. That's what Psalm 139 says. David said, in sin I was conceived. He didn't say, my mom and dad sinned. He said that the fact is that from the moment of conception, you are a human being. I'm more of an abolitionist than a, than a right to lifer. I think we ought to abolish slavery. I mean, abolish abortion. They're the same arguments, by the way. But in the moment of conception, not only are you a human being, you're a lost human being that needs a Savior. And if you don't believe that, just, like I said, get around a baby. 
All, can, all they can do is yell when they're hungry or uncomfortable or whatever, right? You say, well, of course, that's just how babies are. They can't communicate. But does that cry ever lessen apart from Christ? I want what I want when I want it, and I scream out for it. And we, we don't grow up to say, Lord, whatever you give me, I will be content. I will be sufficient. I will, I will not complain. I will not cry out. Listen, let me, let me read Revelation 16. I've got it right here. Let me, let me read this to you. You see, we, when we believe that, we're not that bad. We're comparing ourselves to other sinners, not to a holy God. Do you follow that? If I think I'm okay, it's because I'm comparing myself to someone who is less okay than I am in my mind. But you may be the worst one. Pilate asked Jesus, Jesus said, you don't know what you're doing. They do. They've got the greater sin. The religious people had the greater sin than Pilate who said, yeah, you can crucify him. That's out of the words of Christ, not out of my mouth. You got you to start thinking this way. In Revelation 16, verse 5, and I'm going to skip 6 and read verse 7 and put them together. It says, And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. So when God judges us, he's true and he's just. You following that? Now, where this is leading us, because you know the, probably know the title today, is we're talking about together, we forgive. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I need forgiveness, and I want forgiveness, don't you? I, I don't want any person holding a grudge against me, much less a, a holy God. I, 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 like to, I like to not have that going on, but yet it, it does happen. And so, I, I want to read the text we're going to look at, and then I'm going to give you the thing to take home today so look with me in Matthew 18 beginning in verse 21 we're going to the end of the chapter then Peter came up and said to him Lord how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times Jesus said to him I say to you uh, I do not say to you seven times but 77 times <clears throat> it could be 70 times seven or it could be 77 times it's just translating from one language to another we're not real sure but that's not the point. I'll, I'll tell you what the point there is in a minute. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king <clears throat> who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? <clears throat> and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... So also, 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, innermost being. Here's what you need to take home with you today. Any unforgiveness you cling to separates you from God. I find this to be one of the most necessary topics in, in life and, and even in the church. And I will tell you, you need to forgive not only because of spiritual consequences, because of physical ones. There, there are a lot of people in the hospital and they're sick because they carry bitterness. They carry animosity. They carry a grudge with them. And that will destroy your physical health as well as your spiritual health. And so I want us to look at this passage of Scripture because in there we're going to find some keys about why we should forgive. Um, not necessarily how we forgive, but we'll talk about that. But that we should forgive. And if you notice the context, what's happened just before that is a formula for how to forgive. If your brother sins against you, go and talk to him. If he listens, you gain a brother. If he doesn't listen, get a couple of witnesses and go. Uh, the Bible prescribes you got to have at least two witnesses and witnesses that, that are... Uh, separated from each other uh, that's how Jezebel got the the vineyard to give to Ahab she got two bad guys to be false witnesses in order to uh, condemn the man have him killed and, and steal his vineyard so he says take two with you and if they don't listen to them then you take it to the church and the leaders would do that the leaders should take it to the church and so after Jesus taught on this and th that that you ought to forgive and that this was a process of, of forgiveness and reconciliation Peter comes up, and he thinks he's bragging. So what I want you to see first is Jesus is going to set a higher expectation than these guys have. And so he says, should I forgive somebody who sins against me seven times? And Jesus said, not seven. Seventy times seven or 77 times, either one. Because the point is not what is the exact number. Because if you're sitting there going, oh, I will get to 76. And boy, I only got one more I got to forgive them, and then I can really nail them then you got a much different problem. You're not really forgiving because you are keeping account of those wrongs. And you're, now if it's 490, which is 70 times 7, you got a bigger problem, right? So either way, the point is, the rabbis in that day said you have to forgive somebody three times, but then after that you can do whatever. So Peter doubles it and adds one, comes up with the number seven. And in the Bible, seven is usually uh, uh, associated with God or can be uh, a, a number of completeness. But the point here is forgiveness is not a one-time act. And I, I can tell you this. If, let's just suppose you know someone and they never did anything else bad or good to you, but they did something really bad to you once. And you find it in your heart and life because you're a believer do not demand the vengeance that is rightfully yours. Because that's what forgiveness is. You don't demand them repay you even though they owe it to you. So you don't demand personal revenge. Now, it doesn't mean you can't turn a lawbreaker over to the law. But what it does mean is then you don't, like, go try to take them out. We applaud that in America sometimes. But the Bible says we got to leave judgment to God. we got to leave judgment to the government, and that's what they're there to do. But, so forgiveness is not a one-time event, but that one guy sins against you one time, I can promise you this, today, let's say today is the day you go, you know what, I'm going to forgive that person. So you 
Lord God, I will not seek revenge on this person, and I'm going to let you take care of it. And Monday morning, you wake up, and that name goes through your mind, and you want to get revenge. You see, it's not a one-time act. You got to practice forgiveness again. It, it's just that's how it works. Because it will keep coming back up to you. And so you have to say, Lord, I take my hands off. I belong to you. You, you take care of things for me. And you don't seek to get someone back. You don't seek to get uh, revenge. And so the point there is you can't limit your forgiveness. But in case they didn't get it, Jesus tells them a story, a parable. It's not necessarily a true story. And he t- starts the story with a kind king. Uh, I want you to notice that. A kind king. In verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. And, and later it's a servant of a king. And notice that it's a king because he's talking about God himself. Who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. Now, these servants owe certain things. So he has this one particular servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, let let me go on. I'll come back to it. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all he had, and payment to be made. So Jesus is going to use this parable to illustrate a king forgiving a servant who owed a debt he couldn't pay. And the important part to know here without what I'm about to give you is the guy really could not pay it back. And the king knew that. But in that day, they had a system where, okay, you are going to jail until you can pay it back. You're going to work through the prison system in that day. You're going to do labor and you're going to, all the money you earn is coming to me. And we're going to sell your wife into slavery, your kids into slavery. And it's not the slavery like we think of in America. They're going to be servants of other people. And all the money they earn is going to come to me until the debt's paid. Now, notice what it says there. 10,000 talents. And in a minute, you're going to see he goes and finds somebody that owes the the guy that owes uh, 10,000 talents. It's going to go find the guy that owes him 100 denarii. So there's your two hints. And I'll tell you what I did. Because you don't know what a talent is, you don't know what a denarii is, and neither do I. But I can tell you what it is supposed to be. A denarii was the average daily wage in that day. All right? We don't know what necessarily that would amount to, except I will tell you this. I don't know what it might be worth, but I looked up what is the average salary in the United States. And what I came up with is $221 a day. So that is a salary that would get you about $1,000 a week, about $4,000 a month, and so on. Now, that is the average salary. There are people below, people above. But let's just take the average and pretend that's a denarii. Is that okay? We can reduce it, but I can't do the math up here. So, you, so once I tell you what I did, you can do it. Because a talent is 6,000 denarii. So he would have to work 6,000 days to pay one talent, And how many does he owe? 10,000 talents. So I did the math. Take 221 divided by 6, I mean, multiply it by 6,000. And then multiply that by 100,000. And you come out with 
$13,260,000,000. I only know one guy could pay that debt without blinking. That's Elon Musk. Other than that, you's in trouble. <laughs> right? This guy, there is no way he can pay such a great debt. And the king knows that. And so the king, the Bible says here, out of pity for that servant, he says, I tell you what, I'm going to wipe the slate clean. You don't owe me anything. Go your way. That's awesome. But there's another character here. He's a wicked servant. Number one, how do you accumulate a $13 billion, $260 million debt in today's society? What did you do? Take the king's credit card and go buy mansions and boats and whole islands and, you know, new yachts and brand new, most expensive cars. I mean, that'd take a while to, you know, I mean, Twitter costs a little bit more than that, but that's still a big chunk of change. I know if you work for the federal government, that was just when the guy sneezed down the hall. But other than that, that's a lot of money, right? He finds a guy who owed him 100 denarii. Remember I told you denarii is a day's wage, $221 in America. So he owed the guy $22,100. Now that's a big number too. But $22,000 compared to $13 billion, it's not a drop in the bucket. And yet he chokes the guy out, throws him in prison until the debt is paid. You see, here's what the king did for that wicked servant. Look what it says. Uh, starting up there in verse 29, uh, at verse 30, sorry. He refused to put him in prison. 31, and the fellow servant saw what had taken place. They were distressed and went and reported to the master all that happened. And the master called him in and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on you? Remember, he's using a king because Jesus is the king. God is the king. And we owe a debt we cannot pay. Forget $13 billion. That's nothing compared to what we owe God because we've rebelled and sinned against a holy God. He is thrice holy. He cannot even look at evil. And you think you guys can do something really bad to be found guilty? Are you kidding me? You tell a little white lie, you become a liar. You, you borrow a pen and don't give it back. You're a thief. Right? God doesn't give degrees on that. He just says, just pointing it out. See, the Ten Commandments, they don't do anything to make you well. They don't do anything to save you. I injured my left knee a couple months ago, and it hurts really bad. And it still hurts really bad. So I went to the doctor, and, and somebody examined it. Said, well, I can't tell by outside. Let's take an x-ray. Took an x-ray. Couldn't tell by that. But guess what the x-ray does expose? It did expose some other damage in there I didn't know I had. But it didn't do a thing to heal me. My leg still hurts because I know what's wrong. There's arthritis in there. There's deteriorating bone in there. I think it popped something in there. I don't know what it is. But the x-ray saw that it's messed up. Well, yep, you got a messed up knee. See you later. <laughs> well, what are we going to do about it? Oh, well, you want something done about it. That's a whole different story, right? And that's how 
the law is. It doesn't help us, but it exposes our sin. And our sin causes us to owe a debt we cannot pay because if you're a human, you can only die once. Right? I mean, you can't die, get resurrected, and die again. That, that, that doesn't happen. You say, well, there's people they bring back from the dead. Yeah, but they're not dead dead. They're just dead. <laughs> it quit for a minute, but there's still oxygen in there. There's still stuff to go. You see, unforgiveness can lead us to a self-imposed imprisonment and separation from God's grace. This guy had grace of the king. He didn't have to go to prison. But when he didn't forgive his fellow servant, suddenly... He did it to himself by not forgiving the servant. Now he's going to prison. Now he's separated from the good graces of the king because he would not act in the way the king acted toward him. I'm trying to emphasize how important is it that we forgive others. That's why I kept emphasizing the last verse. At the end of that, Jesus said, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you who do not forgive your brother from your heart. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the very first thing Jesus says after the end of the prayer, where we said, forgive, our, forgive us our debt as we forgive the, our, those, our debtors, those that owe us. And at the end of that, he said, because if you don't forgive others, your Father won't forgive you. You have to forgive. And you may be sitting there saying, well, I guess I'll do it if I have to. No. Listen, if you're a Christian, you're supposed to forgive others because you were forgiven. You have to embrace forgiveness as a central tenet of your Christian life. And it doesn't matter. You say, well, you don't know what they did. No, I don't. Doesn't matter. The Bible doesn't care either. It just says you've got to forgive those sin against you just like God forgave you because you owed God a whole lot more than they owe you. That's the point of this, right? It was pretty simple, right? You with me? Okay, good. And so you and I have to forgive others, but that's not the motivation. The motivation is you have the Spirit of God in you. You'll want to forgive others because your overarching desire rather than revenge is for their salvation. We are called by Christ to love our enemy. To the point that when they come against us, we forgive them and desire them to know Christ. Again, justice isn't about justice. This is about your personal attitude and walk with the Lord. They, we can have justice, but we can't administer it. We got to leave that up to God and the government. And we have to forgive from our heart if you want God to forgive you. You say, well, I thought you believed in once saved, always saved. I do. Here's the implication. Forgiveness is a choice. And the true Christian will forgive. There's another verse. I didn't put it in my notes. But it's Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it if you want to write that down. And it says this. Sorry. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, you thought I was just saying that. There it is. Paul wrote it down for you that it says we have to be kind-hearted. We have to be tenderhearted. We have to forgive one another in Christ because Christ forgave you. And so, if you don't forgive, you are not reflecting the forgiveness of God in your life. 
So you got two choices. Repent, because you are a believer. You're faced with the truth of God's word, and you got to repent. Or you say, I don't care, I'm going to hold it. That shows you aren't saved at all. You don't know the grace of God, because if you know the grace of God, you take the grace of God to show grace to others. The most critical, unforgiving people I know are people who never needed forgiving in their mind. Oh, I haven't done anything hurting anybody. You probably hurt somebody by that statement. Of course you need forgiveness. Of course you hurt people. It's called being a human and living here. And so we ought to be the ones who are the gracious ones, showing the grace of God, showing that God forgives something unimaginable to our minds, that we rebelled. I, I heard a preacher one time, and, and he was talking about when, they're, when David's trying to bring the ark, and he put it on the donkey uh, uh, oxen cart, and they're bringing it back when David was king. He said, we need to get the ark back here. And he goes and he picks it up, and they put it on. The, now, nowhere in the Bible did it tell them to carry the Ark of the Covenant on, a, on an ox cart. And so they had men walking beside it. And the, the ox stumbled or the wheel hit a hole and it started to tremble. And a guy put his hand up there to steady it. And God struck him dead. And people said, that's too bad. David said that. Oh, my goodness. You ought to read the whole passage. Read that chapter, the one after it, and the one after that. Because David got so mad at God, he said, I'm going to war. I got to go kill somebody. So he just goes to war. And then the chapter after that, he comes back and goes, you know what, guys, I didn't do that right. We got to do this right. <laughs> he went back and checked on what he had done. He went, oh, that was my fault. That wasn't God's fault. But I heard this preacher talk about it. I said, people say that was unfair. He said, how dare you think that, how dare that guy think his dirty, sinful hand was cleaner than God's good dirt? You see, you think you're better than dirt. You're not. You were made of dirt, and you needed a Savior to save you and redeem you and give you a body not made with dirt, but made, it's going to be one day, a body that will be spiritual and physical in a way that is going to be glorious, like Jesus' body after the resurrection. But until that, the Bible says, he remembers your frame that you're just dust. Dust is really little dirt. <laughs> right? It says that in Psalms. He remembers your frame, that your frame is made of dirt. But he became one of us to take that frame to the cross and in his body take out all the sin of our lives, our rebellion against God, our desiring our own will, our desiring our own selfish ambitions and, and, and pleasures and things we want. And Jesus took all that and nailed it to a cross to get it out of the way so we could experience the forgiveness of God. And then, so the grace of God not only would save us, but the grace of God could enable us and strengthen us to forgive others. Because that's how we're supposed to live out Christ. And if we don't live that way, it takes a whole lot more courage and strength to do that than it does to get somebody back. It takes a whole lot more to do that. And so I'm going to ask you as we close. Is there unforgiveness in your life? Is there bitterness and anger in your heart towards someone? Now if you're a Christian here today. In a minute we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask you to come pray. If you're a Christian. You've got to confess that. And forgive other people. And by the way. If somebody offended you and they don't know it. Don't go tell them. Just forgive them. But if you know they know and you know that y'all aren't where y'all to be, then go do it. Or come and get saved. Come and meet Jesus Christ. Come and let Jesus Christ become your Savior and your Lord.
Because apart from him, you will never have it in you to forgive. The sinful human nature is to protect itself and to strike back. We war against our own flesh. Ephesians 2 says that, that we desire our own things and our own ways. And we have to war against our earthly desire in order to have God's godly desire in our life. And forgiveness has to be real in the church especially. Because nobody outside the church can do it. And we can't apart from the grace of God. And so I pray this day, as we come to this time of prayer, that you will come and you will pray to God and ask him to help you live a lifestyle just that forgiveness becomes what you do and who you are. And that, and that you will forgive those who have sinned against you.